fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. If you're going to ask me, so you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week. 30 years in the making. It is the 30-something movie podcast. It is, uh, it, it's going to feel like it's the month where we have movies that star or are directed by actors. We've got this month, we've got a couple of them. We've got Robert Redford, who does the narrator, the voiceover in A River Runs Through It. And we've got Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood. <coughs> so we got a couple of them this time around. Yes. But uh, that's that's not the actual theme for the month, but it's just kind of a fun trivia thing. This time around is Unforgiven. So super excited about this one. We we do love us a good western here at the 30 something movie podcast, so. Yeah, we do. In fact, you can hear you can hear Pat Canagallo there right now. He before we started recording, Pat was kind of throwing down the gauntlet that during one of our epiversaries, we might need to do an epiversary episode on westerns. Yeah, I think I think I think we should. I'm I'm strongly advocating for that. You and, and uh, I be- you, you and El Jefe Mizuka. were talking about that. Yes, Jeff and I were talking. I don't speak for people, but I was given special permission to carry the message on Jeff's behalf that yes, westerns should be discussed. We can. I'm sh- I'm sure life can find a way to make that happen. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and we were even like, we even got like deep because we even got deep because it was kind of like, well, what happens if we have a whole series where we watch the Kurosawa flick and then watch the Western that was based off it? Like Seven Samurai, Magnificent Seven. I I forget if it was Yojimbo or Sanjiro and Fistful of Dollars, you know, like that kind of thing. Right. So I'd be up for that. Yeah, man. Which I don't know if Fistful of Dollars was like a direct you know, like Mag 7 was, but yeah. I know that there were some elements that were the same. Who cares? We're similar. Well, we, hey, we, we stretch things all the time here. Yes, we do. So, Not our muscles. I mean, those of us that still have any left, I don't know. Indeed. Stre- yeah. Stretching, it's not just for runners anymore. That's true. Says who? It's for runners and our senses of humor. Yeah. Ah. There you go. Well, the other voice that you can hear there is Bo Warmbold. Bo? How you doing? I'm well, John. Good, good. And the voice you don't hear because he's sitting there. He's, he's looking pensive. You can't see him because this is an audio podcast, but he's looking very pensive this evening. It's Dennis Matuch. Dennis, how you doing? Good. Now I'm trying to figure out what pensive means. Okay. I'm going right. to ponder that. Well, that's. I told my son something the other day, and I, I said, I forget how I used it, but I used the word palatial. And he's, uh-huh. and he's like, first <laughs> of all, I don't appreciate it when you make up words when you're like – criticizing me for something and i'm like first of all i didn't make up that word it is go look it up in the dictionary well i don't know what it means and it just, just why don't you just use real words all right i love the character voice for your son now 
Oh, that's always been my voice for him. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's like it's 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 consistent now, so it's yeah. like him. Yeah. yeah. I'm picturing yeah. a cartoon character now. Those of those, for you guys who have only met him probably a handful of times, that is probably now the voice when you picture him, that's his voice. It is. When he doesn't talk that way, it's going to be disappointing. Right. Yeah. Well, no, no, you got to talk like your dad does. Right. <laughs> no, that's, that's not your, that's, that's not your voice. Can you, can you talk, talk normal? So Dennis, I, other, other than podcasts, what's that? Did you ever hear these podcasts? He used to. He used to listen to them. He, he used to be oh, on a couple of them, and he used to listen to them. Yeah, and, I don't uh, talk that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I figure I'm pretty safe now. I don't think he listens to – he didn't listen to the podcast much anymore, so. But, well, gentlemen, it is Unforgiven tonight, and I would be unforgiven if I skipped over this little intro part here. So, spoiler alert, we do spoil freely here as we talk, so this is your only warning. Go visit our website if you have not already, 30podcast.com. You can leave a rating, leave a voicemail, become a co-executive producer via Patreon. And I think I mentioned this maybe a few weeks ago, and life is finding a way to get in the way. We, very, very shortly, if anybody would like any kind of merchandise for our show, because merchandising, we will have a Just shop. in time for the holiday season. Just in time for the holiday wow. season. I wish I, I could have gotten podshop.biz, but I hear that one's taken. <laughs> there it is, man. There it uh, is. But because uh, that's a great address. But yeah, so we're, we've got uh, a couple of different T-shirts in there. One of my personal favorites, which I, I may end up ordering one for myself, is the uh, Bo Warmbold special that has the really it, it has two boxing gloves on the front of it, and then it over the boxing gloves it says "Wax on, Wax off." That's outstanding. <laughs> that is outstanding. Bo, I know what to get you for Christmas this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's exciting. We have a merchandising store or a merchandising store. I think it's cool. We got merch. As, as soon as I have time to think of any other designs other than our logo and some boxing gloves, then yeah, we'll have a little bit more in there. That's awesome. If anybody else has any artistic abilities and they, they want to design something based on our podcast, you can totally do that too. It's awesome. Yeah. Maybe a, maybe a vomit bag. Yes. Yes, we could have a we could have a little a little picture of a duck with a vomit bag. Mm-hmm. To harken mm-hmm. harken back to the episode vomit breath, where Dennis yeah. walked out. But I'm glad Dennis yep. came back. I just didn't do this to me. You can, yeah, you can cover your ears all you want. That's not going to unburn the the duck stuff from your brain. Actually, I had a student do this to me as I was talking to. <laughs> This year, yeah, nice. you know who got you know who happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so next day when he came up to me and started talking to me about something, I just go stick your fingers in your ears. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah. He was like, "Oh darn you!" <laughs> yeah, sometimes you yeah. just gotta throw it back at. When him. I hear when I hear duck bombing or duck whatever or anything about anything about ducks, mm-hmm. duck boops. You yep. didn't have to go right for it. Hey. Duck, whatever. You don't have to. Now you kept saying duck. When I hear duck, that's what I hear. I'm He's sorry. Just, I mean, and duck cannot be in the same sentence. There's a. My therapist said that that's not healthy for me. Bo is just trying to keep the listeners abreast of what's going on. You know how much those copays are for therapy? Yes. Yes. I'm all better now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah you look it. 
I used to be stupid. I'm all better now. Yeah. Mm. What movie was that? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Uh, the, the Duck of Death. Yes. Bad, I blame you because you brought that up in this conversation. What did I bring up in this conversation? What are you talking about? We kind of started that in that direction of ducks. Yeah, but there's ducks in this movie. There's vomit. Yeah, there's the duck of death. No. I talked about vomit bags with our logo on it. That's all I talked about. Yeah, I know, but, you know. Well, there ain't vomit bags. Once you start talking about vomit bags. Then John went to, you know. Yeah, Yeah, but I didn't didn't say the words. That was Bo. Bo said the words. So I'll never never forget that, Bo. Yeah. Is ben, okay. Bo, you're unforgiven now. You're unforgiven. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to hire by, somebody. <laughs> by, by the end of this hour, hour and a half together, I think at some point we each will have something that we do that's unforgiven by the others. It's probably true. Mm-hmm. There it is. So our movie this time around is Unforgiven. It came out on the 7th of August, 1992, rated R, with a runtime of two hours, ten minutes, directed by a certain someone i have I, I know i needed to pull uh pull a little sound file here maybe i don't know if i'm gonna do it every time his name is mentioned but who directed this movie eastwood clint eastwood there we go nice so clint eastwood directed this one he also did mystic river and grand torino writer was david webb peebles who did blade runner and 12 monkeys producer was clint eastwood he did american sniper and sully music was done by lenny niehaus he, did, he died in 2020. He did Heartbreak Ridge and Space Cowboys. Cinematography by Jack N. Green, who did The Bridges of Madison County and Twister. Real quick pause there for a second. Did you guys hear they're doing a sequel to Twister? I did. No. Yeah. I did. And it, it, thinking about that without Bill Paxton is hard. Yeah. Supposedly, they're going to try to get Helen Hunt back. And the story is going to be her and her daughter, who would have been Bill Paxton's character's daughter as well, and the daughter wants to follow in her father's footsteps and be a storm chaser. Yeah, I was wondering if they were just going to take the script, re-shuffle some people around, and Helen Hunt was going to play the aunt where they stop at the house and, oh, yeah. you know, just redo the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Could do that. I mean, I hope not, but it sure felt like that was a possibility. Yeah. Editor for this one was Joel Cox. He did Mystic River and Flags of Our Fathers. Budget was $14.4 million. Box office was $159.2 million. Flickmetrics gives it an 84%. Cinema score gives that one a B plus. Starring Eastwood, Clint Eastwood, as William Money. He was in Grand Torino and Dirty Harry. Gene Hackman as Little Bill Daggett. He was in The French Connection and Superman 1, 2, and 4. Morgan Freeman played Ned Logan. He was in Seven and Driving Miss Daisy. Richard Harris, who died in 2002, was English Bob. He was in The Count of Monte Cristo and The Guns of Navarone. James Wolvett played the Schofield kid. He was in The Dark and the TV series Jag. Saul Rubinek played W.W. Beauchamp. He was in True Romance and Warehouse 13. Frances Fisher played Strawberry Alice. She was in Titanic and Laws of Attraction. Anna Thompson played Delilah Fitzgerald. She was in True Romance and The Crow. David Mucci played Quick Mike. He was in Prom Night and For the Love of the Game. Rob Campbell played Davy Bunting. He was in The Crucible and Winter's Tale. And Anthony James, who died in 2020, played Skinny Dubois. That was Dubois or Dubois. How French do you think he is? Oh, very. Very French? Mm-hmm. Skinny Dubois. All right, there we yes. go. Yes. He was in Naked Gun 2 and, a half and In the Heat of the Night. 
All right, some quick trivia stuff that I found for this one. The final screen credit, when you get to the very end of the movie, it says, dedicated to Sergio and Don, referring to Clint Eastwood's mentors, Sergio Leone and Don Siegel. Frances Fisher said that David People, David Webb People's original script was one of the most perfect scripts she had ever seen, as if it was almost written like a novel. She illustrated this by saying that while most scripts are full of revisions and marked up in the margins, this one barely had any. I guess one of the few changes that Clint Eastwood made to his script was to remove the open voiceover and replace it with the text at the beginning and the end of the movie mm-hmm. when english bob departs cursing at the town he speaks with a rough lower class cockney accent confirming that his refined upper crust persona was a total fake in 1992 interview richard harris said i read the script and i said to clint it would be great if i could play this man as a very sort of upper class fake and at the end of the picture when he gets the crap beat out of him Maybe all that drops, and you see behind it, and he's really kind of a lowlife. And Clint Eastwood was like, yep, go for it. Do whatever you want. Sounds good to me. The writer said that he based this story partly on a Western novel that really impressed him. The book was made into a movie called The Shootist from 1976, which was the last movie that was ever made by John Wayne. Much like Eastwood's character in this film, Wayne's character was an aging former gunfighter who finds himself facing extreme kind of extreme odds leading to a very dark end. As with the pulp writer in this film, there is a younger character who's fascinated with the lethal reputation of the protagonist and who serves as witness to his last battle. One of the other things in here uh, said that Eastwood and Peoples did not set out to make an anti-violence movie, but Eastwood did say he was interested in deconstructing the myth of the Old West with its clear distinction between heroes and villains and wanted to show an inglorious depiction of death. And wasn't there also, didn't Eastwood and Hackman also have a long talk about violence? Because at the time it was... Yeah, a big deal. Gene Hackman was worried about making the movie because of the, I think he attributed the rising gun violence in America. So he didn't want to make a movie that was going to help contribute to that. And he and Clint Eastwood, I guess, had some conversations and he basically said, nope, I am not going to, you're, you're, any death in this movie, it's not going to glorify gun violence. So it'll be the the opposite of what you're worried about. Like nobody, nobody should be coming out of this movie excited to go grab a gun and start shooting at things. Mm-hmm. all right before i get to our synopsis our trailer and then we jump into our major moments uh, was there any other any other trivia about this movie you guys know or anything that you read up on ahead of time you want to share i if i remember correctly i think i looked up i think it's lenny Niehaus does the music but i guess clint yes. eastwood wrote the theme for it he did yeah yes. he, he wrote the opening <laughs> theme to it which actually and I, I i might have it right here let me see yeah yeah, and I know Clint Eastwood is a piano player, a jazz piano player, and so it's uh, it's cool that, that that he's that he's a musician and that he's able to bring that to the to the film. Yeah, let me see. I might have the I have it here. Well, I do, but it's not wanting to play. Let me try it one more time. Nope, doesn't want to play. Maybe I can kind of throw that in there afterwards. Yeah, man. All right. We'll try that later. 
Yeah, I was trying to play the music, and then all of a sudden it says, the request timed out, and then it tries to jump to my Billy Ocean's Greatest Hits, which is totally different. <sighs> yeah. yeah. That is not quite the same as the Unforgiven original motion picture soundtrack. Another soundtrack for another time. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. So this is that music that kind of plays over that kind of opening crawl at the beginning. And if you look at the soundtrack, it actually shows that there are, and I think Clint Eastwood wrote all of these. Yeah, if you look at the soundtrack, there are actually eight different versions of this theme. Oh, wow. Yeah, it kind of... He put in some time on that one. Yeah, I spread throughout the soundtrack. It's got Claudia's theme version one, and then track six is Claudia's theme version two. And then track nine is Claudia's theme version three. And then it just kind of keeps going throughout the rest of the, the rest of It'd be it. fun to do. We'll have to do a deep dive in and hear how it, how they alter, how they differ. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Really, really uh, quick, you were doing the time. I was letting the music thing play yeah, out here. But two little things that I did remember seeing is number one, like this, I think that Clint Eastwood could have, I think that it, it, the script or whatever, or the idea had been around for a while, but he wanted to wait till he was older to play the, the main role himself. And the other one was from the writing perspective, which I thought was kind of cool. I remember them saying that this was almost entirely without changes. Like the script was almost like, like somebody, I, I can't remember if it was one of the women or girls or something where it's like, I looked up on it. It was somebody had said, I think it was maybe Strawberry Alice said something like, it's the first time she saw a script where it was just all white, meaning there was no like yeah. colored papers and you know, so like it was almost, I think maybe the title was the only thing that changed something like that, which mm-hmm. is a rarity it was, in Hollywood. It was the voiceover. There was a voiceover at yeah. the beginning and they changed it to text and stuff. Other than that though, the entire yeah. script is like pretty much, which is rare. Usually there's yeah. modifications all the way along the way and changes and stuff. And there was not really. So yeah. That was kind of cool. Yeah. All right, let me give you the synopsis of this one real quick in my best Don LaFontaine impersonation, and then we'll listen to the trailer, and then we'll be back with some major moments. In a world where retired Old West gunslinger William Money reluctantly takes on one last job, he must call on the help of his old partner Ned Logan and a young man named the Schofield Kid. Step over to the office and get the bullwhip. A whipping? That's all they get after what they've done? Get out of there! It was a matter of honor. They're paying a thousand dollars to whatever kills the two boys that cut up Delilah. In a time when lawmen were killers. What are y'all looking at? You English Bob. Outlaws were heroes. Well, I thought that you were dead. Hell, I even thought I was dead. Till I found out it was just in Nebraska. And a bad reputation. You're the one who killed William Harvey and robbed that train over Missouri. Was as good as gold. My guess is you're calling yourself Mr. William Money. Say what? 
You don't look no meaner than hell, cold-blooded damn killer. I ain't like that anymore, kid. Thousand dollars reward, Will. Nobody's gonna come. So you still have that Spencer rifle, huh? Yeah. He's my partner. He don't go, I don't go. What's it come to three ways? Just because we're going on this killing, that don't mean I'm gonna go back to being the way I was. Are you really gonna kill them cowboys? I do not like assassins. Or men of low character. We ain't bad men no more. We're farmers. Savages! They're a bunch of bloody savages! Assassins! Oh, I guess they have it coming. We all have it coming, Kent. Some legends will never be forgotten. Some wrongs can never be forgiven. The man don't want to get killed. Better clear on out the back. Unforgiven. All right. So our major moments for this one, I've got them broken up into seven major moments that'll kind of walk us through the plot of this movie. And then we can kind of comment on the plot as we go along if there's anything you want to share with that. But otherwise, we'll try to keep kind of our opinions of the movie itself, the the, the way the movie was made and, and things like that. We'll keep that to when we go into our deeper thoughts here in just a few minutes. But major moment number one, I'm calling it Big Trouble in Big Whiskey. So we start the movie off right away. We have a couple of cowboys who are enjoying the company of the ladies of the night, trying to find a way to keep some of this family friendly, as we do on the podcast. But uh, they're enjoying the company of the ladies of the night, and one of them, in the middle of the enjoyment, I guess, gets laughed at, and so decides that he is going to take his knife and cut up one of the girls. And this is where the, the crux of the movie kind of follows from here is the the women that are there, including Strawberry Alice, wants there to be wants him to be hanged, wants him dead. And uh, as the uh, little Bill comes in, kind of the sheriff of the town comes in and it really is he, he's just gonna he's gonna whip him and that's about it. And then they're gonna have a more of a business transaction to deal with the quote unquote damaged property that uh, I think it was skinny is the the guy's name, the guy that owns the place owns the bar. So the billiard you, hall, the billiard hall. Right. Even though they, the table got used for, was it got used for firewood. Is that what it was? Firewood. Yeah. So that's the trouble that's going to press the rest of the movie forward. And what ends up happening is the, the women get together and they are going to try to pool their resources and hire someone to kill the two cowboys. Even though a deal was made that the, the cowboys were going to bring some ponies and trade them and give them to skinny for his trouble, but the the women put together their money and they are going to try to hire out someone to come and kill the two cowboys and get their revenge, get justice. So that's where we eventually meet William Money, who is now a farmer. We, we get little hints here and there just from conversation, especially when the Schofield kid comes in and comes looking for him. At this moment is kid comes looking for money and he has heard about the job that's being offered to come kill these cowboys, but he probably knows he can't do it himself. And his, I think it was his uncle, had worked with Will back in the day and told him all these stories about how he was the most cold-blooded killer. Like, if you ever had to go kill someone, you needed to have William Money with you because he was going to be the the worst or best, whatever, you, whatever way you want to look at it. 
And so Schofield kid comes looking for money, and uh, he's there on the farm with his two kids. His wife has died, and, and you get the sense that his wife is the one that kind of turned him around, turned him away from his former life. Yeah, but they are struggling a bit. Like all of their, it seems like all their pigs have gotten sick. They've all got a fever. He's he might have been a really good killer, doesn't seem to be a very good farmer. So they are struggling a bit, and I'm sure that the the idea of getting some money for doing something that on its surface sounds like it's serving justice by getting back at these guys for what they did to this woman probably sounds pretty appealing instead of trying to wrangle these hogs and keep dealing with that. Then we have a have kind of a funny bit, well, funny bit that turns unfunny uh, fairly quickly. We have uh, English Bob comes to town, and uh, we first meet English Bob on the train. Uh, Praising the queen left and right. Nothing nice to say about presidents. Why, why, no. not, why not shoot a president, basically, is English Bob's way of looking at things. But uh, yeah, praising, the, uh, praising the royalty and not so much the president. And so uh, English Bob comes to town and very, very quickly, like the moment he comes, the character of Little Bill kind of, I think, he gets wind that the ladies have tried to send out the word and, and, and offer up a job to get these cowboys killed. And uh, Little Bill is pretty wise to that pretty quickly. So anybody that comes to town that is any kind of assassin or gunslinger or whatever, he pretty much immediately assumes that that's what they're there for. And he mercilessly beats English Bob. And then we've got a... We've got a they seem to have a bit of a history, too. They do, yeah. They seem to know each other pretty well. And, and there's, a, there's a funny scene in the jail. Funny, but also kind of terrifying at the same time. You've got this scene in the jail where he's, his, his biographer, English Bob's biographer, is there. And he's trying to count know, all these Everyone stories. travels with their biographer. Absolutely. If I had a biographer, he'd, he'd be walking around with me all the time, so... But yeah, so the, he's he's trying to recount all these tales, and little Bill is just sitting there. Gene Hackman is is just sitting there, just laughing because he's like, "That's not." I I was actually there. Like I, I know how this happened, and and I'll tell you how this happened. And he tells a what is actually a much better story. It's it's a much funnier story. It's a much better story, but obviously not as flattering for English Bob. So the biographer is pretty quickly getting the sense that this whole gunslinger hero persona is uh, maybe not all that it's uh, made out to be. And that's, I'm sure we're going to get into, but that's such that conversation to me was such a, is it a, not a proxy, a microcosm of what this whole movie is trying to do. Hey, here's what would really happen kind of thing. Even describing, even describing like a gunfight. Well, it's not the quick draw that's going to win. The quick draw is going to, blast himself in the foot or miss or do something like that. It's the person that can be steady. Like this is how it works. And I, I just, I, I just thought that that way he told the story, even the whole, well, here's the legend. No. Were you there? You weren't there. Whoever, I don't know who your eyewitnesses. I was sitting there. This is what happened. Like, I just think, I just think that that conversation was one of the amazing conversations that was in this movie and wonderful bits of dialogue, but just as a, as a, but I think that's the right use of the word. As a microcosm for what the overall movie was, I thought that did such a great job of just setting the tone of the thing. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the, we're, we'll talk Tombstone later next year. It kind of reminds me of one of the scenes where after after they have the shootout on the river and is Al Kilmer's character, somebody asks, where's Wyatt? And Val Kilmer says something like, he's down by the river walking on water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah, you have all these, some of the more modern 
Western movies do, as we read in the trivia part, do kind of deconstruct that myth of the kind of the heroic legendary gunslinger kind of a deal. And I, I like the one line again, it's, it's from tombstone, but I do, I like the line and I feel like it's even a, a micro microcosm of that whole discussion is when they, when it's after the shootout in the river and they're all sitting around talking about it. And one, one of them goes, you ever seen anything like, or he says something like doc, you ever seen anything like that? And one of the other guys goes, man, I ain't even heard of anything like that. So it's like a, a total difference between what you've seen and what you've heard. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So our next major moment is we get the maybe not quite so dream team together of Will, Ned, and the Schofield kid. It's a, it's a little bit of a band of misfits here. It's Men's and it never will be. Right, two older guys and a half-blind kid that are going to go finish off these cowboys. Yeah. I, I don't know that I'd probably want to be a part of this team. No, it, it doesn't fill you with with a lot of hope does yeah. it no i got an old farmer that can't even get on his horse i've got the other old guy who i mean of all the characters ned seems like he's got it most together like he's still his eyesight's not bad he's still a good shot you know he seems pretty pretty even keeled whereas the kid is this hothead who just keeps wanting to tell people how much of a killer he is and uh, can't see anything and uh, yeah no this is this is probably not the team that i'd want later on in our three questions i i have one question about who would you want by your side if you were headed into a an old West gunfight or something like that. And it would probably not be this team. Well, and I, and I, I just want to say, I want to point out that the trailer was doing what trailers do and try and sell the movie, but I don't think the trailer was entirely accurate. Mm-hmm. And there was another trailer that I remember watching as a kid. I remember seeing that trailer and, and again, then I watched the movie and it was just like, Oh my gosh, they totally messed up that whole bit of dialogue for the trailer just to get a, uh, Oh, cool. This movie sounds great. And it was the part that was like, you just shot an unarmed man. Well, he should have armed himself. Yeah. And then you, you watch that as a 14, 15 year old kid. I hate to say it. It's just like, yeah, fire the guns, fire it up. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that wasn't what that bit of dialogue was. Right. That is that, that has, that totally mischaracterized the movie. And I got to be honest, the line in this trailer that you played of and the outlaws were the heroes. No, they weren't. (laughs) These guys aren't heroes. And even Morgan Freeman's character, you know, even Morgan Freeman's character, you know, he's just a regular guy. I mean, he he seems to have it the most together, Mm -hmm. but he's struggling with, can he do this? Should we be doing this? I don't want to be doing this, you know? And I mean, Dennis, one of your, your questions that you always like to ask in relation to Pulp Fiction is the Bruce Willis and then Ving Rhames character is stuck in there with the with the, with the guys, you know, and he's like, well, do you go back? You got to go back. It's like guy code. You got to go back. Well, in this one, the Schofield kid and Ned bust out the thing when uh, William money's getting beat up and they don't go back. They had, they had out, they you get know, out. and it's sort of like, okay. And then in reality, like we all want to see the Western where it's some big rock em, sock em fight, but in reality, could they have done anything against basically all the, the sheriffs or the deputies that were armed? You know, could they have bust in and done anything? So it's, uh, yeah, sorry. I know, I know we got to be careful of opinions, but yeah, this scene and that this whole bit of dialogue, I, I just think, yeah, what this movie really does is it's more than just a dark version. It's not like the mirror universe of all the Westerns. It really has some thought provoking things into it. Yeah. So they, they head into town and the kind of the first, the first round goes to little bill 
because he kind of pegs, he doesn't know who William Money is at this point, but he kind of pegs him as one of these guys coming into town to possibly pick up this job and just, just beats him, just beats him down. And the other two guys escape. They were enjoying the company of the young ladies upstairs and uh, they escape out the window. They get out and they end up finding William and he is, he's in bad shape. I think he ends up, he ends up like sleeping for three days or something while he recovers and, and they kind of go off to continue scouting things out and see what they can do. But round one does not go to our dream team. But then as we, as we get kind of further on into it, they, we have the scene where they're kind of tracking these cowboys and, and they've got them in this, uh, this kind of rocky area and they have a bit of a shootout, and they get the young kid, not the Schofield kid, but they get the the younger one, Davy, I think was his name. The and one who kind of tried to give the the girl a special horse, supposedly. Right, like he's and and that's where that's where I think this goes into the where it's not glorifying any of this, and it's making these these characters kind of ambiguous in a way because he was not the one that cut her. He was the he was the guy that was in the other room and kind of came to his buddy's defense because he thought something was going wrong and and uh, if I remember right he might have even tried to pull him off of her a little bit and so he was kind of trying to do the right thing and then like you said he's the one that not only did he bring the ponies that were part of the deal but he brought the best one to give to Delilah the one who had been cut and he he didn't have to do that and so that was I think that was kind of his way even though he was not the one that committed the crime he was the one that felt like he was trying to make it right so for him to be the first one to get shot and ultimately die that's where that scene is awkward is not the right word but it's it's painful to watch because not only do you they're they're fulfilling their job they're doing what they're paying to what they're being paid to do but just the way it all happens it's not a you see sometimes in these action movies and these westerns the the guy gets shot once and he's down and he's dead and that's it he's instantly before he hits the ground he's dead but in this scene you've got the kid crawling through the dirt yelling and almost crying and whining to his friends that he's been shot and he's thirsty and and just it's it's almost painful to watch as William starts yelling back at the other cowboys look would you give him some water like we're not going to shoot at you just go give the kid some water and you have that whole scene it just and you can see kind of on his face what it's like to, even though he has killed before, you know, what this is like. And, and the Schofield kid is kind of also getting a sense that maybe this is not all it was cracked up to be. So we do get, um, we do get at that point, Ned decides that he doesn't want to have any part of this that uh, he can't do it, he can't take the shot ultimately, and Ned is going to leave and go home, and it kind of feels like maybe he shouldn't have been there in the first place. So he starts to head out, and unfortunately, he gets intercepted by Little Bill. Things do not end well for Ned. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But William Money and the Schofield kid, they do go out, and they finish the job. They're able to find the other cowboy, Back at the ranch, they find him as he's in the outhouse doing his business out there, and the Schofield kid takes the gun, shoots him dead right there in the outhouse. And this does get to a a scene a little bit later, so I'm going to jump forward just a little bit. After they've done the killing, they go back, and there's that scene where the Schofield kid is sitting under the tree, and he's drinking, I think he's drinking drinking whiskey out of the bottle, and he just keeps talking about, yeah, I I killed him. I I killed him. I did it. And then he kind of starts to 
devolve into, well, you know how I told you I killed five people? I, I've never killed anybody. Like, that's the first person I ever killed. And then he just starts crying. It's like, that's, he's like, that is not, basically, he's like, that is not what I thought this was going to be like. And that's another scene that's kind of tough to watch, that it's, you, know, you want to kind of sum up, I think, the the message of this movie is is just how you thought it was going to be, you thought it was going to be just something that was so cool. You know, as he was going to be such a killer and he was going to finish this guy off and it and it doesn't even it doesn't even really matter that this was this cowboy was the one who actually did he was the one who did wrong, but it doesn't even really matter. Just the whole act of taking another person's life has irreparably changed the Schofield kid. He he offers to give up all the money. He's like, "Look, I I don't care. Like I don't I don't I don't want to buy glasses and I don't want to whatever it was he was going to use the money for. He's like, "Look, I I'd, I'd rather be I don't want fancy clothes and glasses. I think he says something like, I'd rather be blind and ragged than dead. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty powerful scene. And I'll tell you the dialogue again, I find the dialogue incredible. You know, you know, when the kid's just like, you can just tell he's, he's coming apart and it's, it's, it, this has really messed him up. And when he's just like, I've never killed. And then I think William money just says, well, you sure killed the heck out of him. You know, yeah. and it, it just, it's just a statement, just like, well, you're here now. And then it's, it's uh, something. And then he says, yeah, it's coming for all of us or we've all got it coming. That's right. He's like, I don't know if he had it coming or no, he had it coming. Like he's trying to make himself feel okay. Right. Yeah. He had it coming. Yeah. Kid, we all got it coming. You know, it's just, wow. And then that's when he finally, he delivers that line where he just says, it's a heck of a, a hell of a thing. Killing a man, take away all he's got all he's ever going to have or all he is, or I, I, I don't remember what the line is offhand, but it's like basically all he's got and all he'll ever have or all he's ever been. Oh yeah. I think something. Yeah. And, 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 and my gosh, because I don't know how many movies it's really, it's, he says it's a hell of a, it's a hell of a thing. Killing a man, take away all he's got and all he's ever going to have. Yeah. And, and I don't know how many movies really, look at the cost of it like that. I, I'm action movies sure don't. Right. Right. And then I don't want to fault any, cause I mean, like I said that they've got their role, they've got their place, but this really explores that whole, like, man, what it does to someone when you take someone's life. Yeah. Right. And uh, I'm not speaking from any experience in whatsoever, but I mean, that's, that's rough. And then like, they keep saying, he's just like, I don't even William money's like, I don't remember half the stuff I did. Cause I was drunk. Cause I had to be, cause I wouldn't do it if I didn't, you know? Yeah. So I was going to bring that, but that was my, my take on watching, rewatching this again. And I have like, maybe told John earlier, I have not seen the entirety of this movie since probably back in the nineties where I saw it a couple times, obviously my dad would have it on occasion, but usually I caught bits and pieces and never watched it all the way through. I did see it at the theater back then. My dad was a big, obviously Ooh. theater fan. And, and anytime a Clint Eastwood movie came out, yeah, you're going to see it. So packed up in the, in the car and we all went to go see it, but I was 20, 21. And I, and it made me think back then those lines about how it really, again, you thought you're going to go in for this kind of gung ho sort of cool macho Western type of thing. And you came away, and it was really like it's, some people like described it as an anti-Western, but I don't know if it's necessarily that or just a, a sad ending to it. And explaining 
what the ramifications, all that kind of celebrated gun violence were. And I, the big thing I took away watching it this time was how, how the whole, the role of alcohol throughout it all. He he only became that guy when he was drunk. If he wasn't drunk, it didn't work. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it was kind of like they needed to drink in order to do what he did to be the killer. And he's like, almost like, he was the bumbling kind of, you said, couldn't get on the horse, couldn't do it. But when he got that, and, and that change that happens at the end, when he when he drinks again, it's like, becomes this evil, sinister sort of murderer. And Starts he, cussing and all sorts yeah, of and stuff. He, he transforms, literally. And it's like, it made me think of how some people like talk about, like, live with alcoholics, how they became something else. You know, how mm-hmm. they're not the same person, like, they could have all, he looks like this old kind of, just, yeah, it, like a guy you'd like to be friends with, but then you see that happen. And then you hear the stories of how he shot this guy in the face and his teeth went out the back of his head. And the guy really deserved it. I even know why I did it. Once I sobered up, you know, you start going like this guy, why am I rooting for him? (laughs) You know, but then again, that was a drunk one. And is that excusable or no, it's not excusable, you know? And then I was also questioning throughout this film, watching it or this time watching it again was, there's the eye for an eye. Hey, somebody kills somebody, you get the revenge and you put a bounty out. I started thinking like a bounty to kill these guys. And I'm not saying what they did was good in any way whatsoever, but was it punishable by death? Right. You know, I started thinking that like it, the bounty should have been maybe to beat the crap out of them or scar their face up. Eye for an right. eye. To kill them. She was still alive. And again, I'm not saying make it any sort of excuse to anybody out there for that. I'm just saying, like, did the crime fit the punishment of, like, just killing him for what they did? And I don't, I'm like, it, it, he didn't kill anybody. It, I mean, you can say that in some ways he killed somebody, you killed part of them at least. But yeah, I, I sort of was like, with that bounty, so who is, who is really, un, who is, who's, who's clean in this whole thing? You know, is there any clean characters? There isn't. Wow. You know, I don't maybe the closest that comes to it is Ned, but Ned also refers in the dialogue about his past and that he was very obviously kind of a thief and a murderer and everything else back then and did things in his past too. He wasn't, and if he was hanging around with an old, you know, old money, money character, it's like, it's, <laughs> I'm sure he wasn't hanging out with the best of best of people. So most likely he was just as kind of, of, of immoral or guilty. Well, and, and that's the thing that I think this movie was very compelling. And I want to make sure we talk about the movie and not start a podcast about whatever else. But you look at so many of the issues of gun violence, or let's just say violence, in our country today. And that very thing that you said, Dennis, I think can apply. It's like, well, they went after these guys to kill them. Did the crime fit the punishment? Okay, or did the punishment fit the crime? And even that, it's kind of, and it's like I said, none of this was in a court of, none of this was in a court of law. And even that, when you go back to the beginning, like you think, okay, well, is the sheriff maybe the, well, the sheriff isn't really a villain, but he's not really a coming out looking, smelling all lily, lily he white with this. He, he has a consequence or whatever he suggests. It's just, it's yeah, but that, they're prop- they're, that she's property. It was, you know, exactly. Yeah. They look at, they look at him basically like property and like the punishment that they were supposed to get. He even talked himself out of the punishment. Yeah. 
You know, well, that's, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Like it was the end. Of, that's what I yeah. wonder. Would would they have jumped to would Alice and the other girls would they have jumped to putting this bounty on them if they they do the business transaction of bring five or seven ponies, whatever it was, and then he was also going to whip them. And then he, like you said, he talks himself out of the whipping. I wonder if he had whipped them as, as mercilessly as he beat English Bob and, and all these other guys. Right. If he had done that, I wonder if or the Ned. women, or, or Ned, I wonder if the women would have been like, yeah, okay, okay. that's enough. Like the, yeah. you know, the the ponies will be there for the financial part of it. We don't care about that because we don't benefit from that. But these guys were beaten within an inch of their life. They're not dead, but... But All right, got, that's, that's, never do that's that again. close enough. Yeah, that's yeah, the best. Never do that again. In eighteen thing, yeah. in eighteen seventy eight or whatever year it is, that's probably the best we're going to get. So yeah, so again, that's that's kind of one thing that I didn't question back then, which is interesting. I didn't. It never phased me to think about like why is there a bounty to kill these guys. I just was like, yeah, okay, yeah. and maybe it was my attitude too of like, yeah, I guess they deserve to die. You know, but then you start thinking like, is that? Is that a death sentence, that crime? Right. There's definitely consequences, and there definitely should be harsh consequences. I think I'd be on board with any, whether I was 21 or now, but but I'm like, is that a death sentence? Is that worthy of going for the bounty? So, yeah. So just watching it different, there was kind of a different filter of that. And then, like I said, the, the role that alcohol played in the whole. I did take away back then. It it changed. I will say the movie changed my view of killing I think my view even of death penalty, things like that, without getting into everything else, but it's like, like, could you actually pull the switch? Could you actually fire the trigger? Could you actually, and, and, I, and I would still claim to this day, anybody's capable of anything, I think, especially if it's an immediate heat of the moment self-defense, but a, but a, but this is, they're traveling to go do, do something. Could, could you do that? You know, and then could you do it sober <laughs> is what I looked at it now is like, they can't even really do it sober. You know, it's like they have to be somehow dull the pain or dull the guilt or dull the whatever with the alcohol in order to do something so inhuman and so, so, so wrong, or if you want to call it sinful or whatever, it's like, like they can't be in their right mind to do it. So I remember walking away sort of thinking like, I would have to be in the heat of a moment of literally like defending a loved one or defending my life to do that. But if there was time went by, I said I would probably struggle with, even as time went by, like if months, weeks, a whole trial went by, like how could I do that? You know, because, and, and it may, it just made me think as a 21 year old, like it changed kind of my, my thing with violence, I think to, to a good degree, it made me think when he was saying those things, you see how it really tore him up and, and he's just almost sort of a shell of a person and. And all these people that he did things to and, 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 and there's a guilt to it. And it's like, you know, like he said, the line about when you kill a man, like that is just a classic line that just, if you, it doesn't stick with you after, after the movie, I don't know what does, but. So really, really quickly, because we are, and, and it's totally fine. Cause I, I like the way, I like the way this is going. So, but we are, we are blending our deep thoughts with our major moments. So very quickly. And now deep thoughts. All right, that's enough. Okay, so I, I did have a couple of questions that I want to ask as we get through the last couple of moments here. Major moment, I'll, and I'm just going to throw them out there and then we can keep talking. Major moment number six I have, I'm calling Ned's dead, baby. Ned's dead. And then <laughs> uh, major moment number seven is fire at will. And we, as we come into, because you, when you started talking about that, Dennis, we come into the end of the movie here, uh, Ned is killed, and that's when things 
kind of pivot. I mean, there's mm-hmm. William is not he's not going back to get revenge. He's not interested in getting revenge for the beating that he received at the hands of little bill. You know, he's not, he he doesn't even turn into this cold blooded killer again until he finds out that Ned is dead. And that's the point at which he, he makes that turn. So one of my questions was going to be, even though he is doing this, and this kind of goes along with, with a question I had uh, regarding little bill too, even though William money is doing these terrible things, at the end of the movie, he's given back over to the drinking, the cursing, the killing, the everything else. He's doing it to get, I don't know if you want to call it justice or revenge or however you want to say it, for the humiliation and, and death of his friend. So mm-hmm. is is he doing these horrible things for a, I was going to use the word noble, but I don't think it's a, a noble reason. Is he doing it for a good reason? And then I realized, well... I think little Bill would argue that he's doing the same thing, that in order to keep order in his town, he has to be a cruel and fairly heartless man. He has to beat these people before they've done anything wrong, because otherwise his town is going to be overrun. You know, he's worked some of the hard towns. He knows what it's like to be in Texas and Kansas and all these places. So he needs to nip it in the bud before anything happens. So if I mercilessly beat English Bob, People are going to see that, and they're not going to mess with my town. So while I'd much, much, much rather build my house and sit on my porch and drink my coffee and watch the sunset, on occasion, I have to beat a man within an inch of his life to keep my town safe and to keep law and order. So all of these, so these two characters that are doing things that are absolutely terrible and, and cold-blooded and heartless and, and whatever other adjectives you want to use, are they doing it for good reason? Or is this a movie where there is no good reason and there is no, like there's no rationale for any of this? Well, I, about the Ned Bird, about him doing it like kind of in retaliation of that, obviously it's there, but is it also tied up? Again, first time I saw it back then, I was like, oh, you kill Ned, he's going to kill, now you really unleash the beast. But at the same time, is it also tied up in his guilt and which then drives because it is guilt that he kind of dragged Ned back into this. So does he feel partly responsible for that to a great degree of, of having brought Ned into this? So yeah. is it, a, is it an unfocused just dealing with the crush of, okay, Ned's dead because of me, because I got, I got him back in this and this is the guy who did it. And so it's not necessarily just a 100% noble sort of thing. I think it's tied up with a lot of mixed the guilt and stuff as well of his thing but yeah i don't know i don't think anybody's i think it's it's a lot of (laughs) misguided reasons for all the characters well the other thing i think about too is at the end of all this they do have that that kind of final text crawl that talks about how he and his children, they took the money, he and his children kind of abandoned the farm. They went to, I think this is, they went to San Francisco and he was fairly su- successful in dry goods or something like that. But part of me is like the the thing that we're really kind of not talking about here at the end of the movie is the one thing that turned him around was his wife. And I'm sure that probably took years to turn him around, William, to turn him around and, and change him from the man that he used to be. Well, now he's unleashed this killer again. He's gone, but he's he's been drinking. He's cursed. He's killed people mercilessly, and now he's going to go back to his kids. And like part of what's got me worried there is, well, what kind of a father is he now 
going back to his kids because I I really doubt that he's going to go back to his kids, move to San Francisco, become semi-successful in, in a dry goods business, and just completely be able to switch this off. So that would be the part that if there were a sequel, if there were Unforgiven 2 Electric Boogaloo, then <laughs> that, would be, that would be what I'd be concerned with is, gosh, what does he do when he goes back home? See, and that's a, that's a thing for me, like, when I say this again, watching as a 20-year-old, it's really weird watching it a second time, because I'm thinking exactly what you're thinking. Yeah. It doesn't seem likely. But back then, in my head, that's exactly what happened. He killed this guy, and he went back to his kids, and he was a good dad, and da 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 and everything. Like, that's how you wrap it up in your head back then, or at least I did. Yeah. I totally felt that that's what happened. I was that's a totally plausible and 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 in in fact, yeah, of course. I mean, he's only doing this now because that guy's the bad guy. And once that bad guy's done, he'll go back and he'll be dad of the year, you know, and it's like I started then thinking like now for the money is it dad of the year to go risk your life for 500 for your kids because then what if you get killed? your kids have no dad and they have no mother and you've just left them orphans. So is that it's weird that you like thinking from an older perspective or a parental perspective now or whatever, just an older, you know, yeah. How you pursue this movie and think of it in different layers. It was really kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't think he even thought that he might not come back. Like I know he said that to his kids, but I think the old gunslinger in him was like, I got this. But it was almost though, and again, back then I thought I would think that, but I don't know if I thought it now because there seemed mm-hmm. to be, like you said, having trouble getting on the horse, shooting at the can. Like it wasn't all, it wasn't that confident going in. Like it didn't, he wasn't selling confidence when they're going back in this. It seemed like you said, like a couple stooges, sort of a couple old guys, a blind kid and, and I'm going, he's gotta be thinking he might not be coming back. How can he be that confident? But back then, I perceived it as, as the confidence you talk about, but watching it now, I didn't quite see that. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's, it is a profound and thought provoking movie. Like <clears throat> what does he I, do? What does he do going back to her grave too? And just, you know, well, cause that that came up several times. Didn't Ned say, I don't think Claudia would want you doing this or, yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. And if that's the only thing that cleaned him up the first time around, I mean, it seems to be because he, your dear departed mother, he keeps talking about her and how she had this influence on his life that nobody else seemed to have. Well, she's gone, and I'm not sure maybe he can change again for his kids, but, you know, that was referenced at least once was that, well, she she wouldn't want you to do this. So clearly that's been simmering in the background, even though his wife – even though his wife turned him around originally being told she wouldn't want you to do this. If she was looking down on you now, she wouldn't want you to do this. That wasn't enough to stop him. Mm -hmm. Well, so in general, I mean, I think we've already probably kind of started to answer this one or have answered it already. Just in general, do you like this movie? I do. Yes. Definitely. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, it's weird. Two different experiences separated by the years. Or at least when I say experiences, one of them that was common was I enjoyed them. It's a great movie. Just thinking in different layers, I think that's even interesting is like you still, it's still a great movie. 
it didn't change. Like sometimes you watch a movie and you go, Oh my God, I didn't notice this. I didn't notice that. And you almost feel like the movie's a little bit less than what it was. And actually by watching it now, it could be said to be even maybe more with deeper thought provoking things versus the, the traditional Western tale. It was definitely multi-layers and you're thinking it from different characters perspective. And like you said, I even, you brought it up. I think the question of, of, uh, of, of little bill and it's just, he's just trying to keep his town in order too. So you can't fault him for that. Like he doesn't want a bunch of guys coming in and trying to cause trouble and bring guns a thing, but that's just, yeah. So I think you see it from different. And then, like you said, um, what's his name? Bob, you know, English like Bob? Bob. Yeah, English Bob brought up at the end, you know, where his voice changes and he was a scam kind of all along. Like, it's like where you just, you start seeing like all these people are just kind of, yeah, there's, they're just humans with a lot of faults and, some justifiable, maybe, maybe some actions and a lot of them that don't make much sense. And it's just a kind of a big mix, but it, it, it totally goes away from the traditional John Wayne kind of persona of a Western and it muddies it up a bit. And it, it almost, I think I had seen or heard back then. I want to say like somebody had called it like the end of the Westerns like an LG and so like kind of just like like the fact that it blows all of the glamour sort of like cool kind of factor western kind of shootout gunslinger type of thing and it makes them human and it no longer glamorizes it and it therefore kind of kills the western to a certain degree or at least puts it to rest yeah and I, and I think time period like you said you do start having more movies that are I guess aliens and science fiction and we start going in that direction. Basically Star Wars is kind of like a Western in space, and, but it, it transforms in that kind of old Western. They weren't being made as much back then. There's been a revival obviously throughout the. Well, and, and, and I think it, it is such a, a statement in contrast. I think it's almost like the, like an accurate war movie compared to an adventure one set during a war. Do you know what I'm saying? Because tombs, tombstone comes off pretty, pretty, shall we say, soon after this, and then Wyatt Earpinette, and I, I'm not faulting Tombstone at all, but I think Tombstone would definitely fall a little bit more into, glorifying might be a strong word, but I mean, the gunfights look, hey, this, this is cool. The good guys are going to get the bad guys, and it's clearly defined who the good guys and the bad guys are, and you know, you got all that kind of stuff, and I mean, I, I don't know. I think this state... I, I don't know that it necessarily puts those other movies down, but I, can, I think it just kind of puts everything on notice that it's like, hey, here's the other side. Well, and you I know? don't mean puts it down. It doesn't put them down like that. Like, yeah, like it slams them or anything. Like it's not anti them. It's just more like just a kind of a, use a better word, a sobering look at, <laughs> at, the, at the act of gunslinging and, and the glorified Western to a certain degree. Like you said, it's just more of a human looking at, what happens, the thought process and what effect it has on the hero on screen that you might think of as a hero, but secretly and, it, and using the other character. And, and when you said shootist, I, I want to say, I remember that I, I, I should have watched that. I haven't watched that one in a while, but that's Ron Howard's in there, right? And Ron Howard's the one who wants to be cool. Isn't it? Do you remember shootist with John Wayne? I think so. What, the yeah, only other thing, Schofield character. There's yes, a character like Ron Howard. Yeah, Ron Howard's Ron in Howard. it. Uh, it's, it's Lauren Bacall, John Wayne, Lauren Bacall, Jimmy Stewart, Ron Howard, 
John Carradine, Richard Boone. Yeah. And I think there's a similar thing at the end with John Wayne. I mean, it, there's a little bit of a, of a feel for that sort of thing, but like Ron Howard, I think is the kid who thinks it's all cool to, to be a gunfighter or something. And, you know, and, and John Wayne's character has a little bit of a mild sort of not, you know, not as cool as you think type of kid. I think, but then I think he, at the end, I, I'd have to, again, I'd have to watch that one again. One thing too, back on the alcohol part that I think theme wise that I kept thinking of more this time than the first time was the town itself is called big whiskey. Right. <laughs> and I just thought like, is that the metaphor? You know? Yeah. yeah. A little on the nose there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's where, where, where money goes back and starts drinking again is in big whiskey. And it's where he shoots and goes back to that life and, and alcohol was the cause. And I think there's a scene with Morgan Fruit with Ned, where he talks about like getting any of the drink or something. <sighs> trying to think of like, no. you could pull that one up somewhere. But yeah, yeah, I just thought that was yeah, that's funny too. If I caught this this time around that it was big whiskey. Well, the other the yeah, other one any that I town, any other town, yeah, you call it big whiskey. Just a big depraved kind of center yeah. <laughs> where people do bad things. The other one, Pat, you might enjoy this one. I did find out today that there is a remake of this movie that was made in 2013. Had you heard about this one? I have not. It stars Ken Watanabe. Oh. And it was remade in 2013, and it is a story of a former samurai is approached by an old associate to help claim the bounty on two men who have disfigured a prostitute. Interesting. How so, did it fare? You know, the, the, the ratings that I see on here... I actually wanted to try to see if I could go find it. It gets a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, well, so there you go. Got, it's got some pretty good ratings. So I I was trying to look up and see if I could find a spot where I could maybe find it streaming somewhere or rent it or whatever because I'm, I'm always up for a good samurai movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to say, you know, we kind of jumping back to major moments because we kind of had the, we kind of not glossed over, but we, we kind of, that shootout at the end, Mm-hmm. Man, I'll tell you, when he yeah. goes walking into that, when he goes walking into that bar, that is like, it, it, that's, that is quite a, that is quite a powerful scene. Yeah. I mean, and then all of a sudden, just, just the whole thing. And, and it's, yeah, cause he, he just tears through those guys and they just have no, they, they just can't stop him. And it's, it's kind of the same thing that they discuss. It's like, people are missing. Like, the, like not all the shots hit. It's not just the stormtroopers that miss, and it's not like some running fight. I mean, they're all standing five, ten feet away from each other, and there's just a lot of missing going on and misfires, and it's, uh, wow. And then the very end is he doesn't ride off into the sunset. He rides off into a rainstorm. Yeah. And I remember as a kid, and not like, oh, cool, but that was just like, whoa, I remember when that whole scene happened and just for some reason, it's the riding off into a driving rain yelling at the town. It's just like, wow, this is, this is next level. Yeah. You know? Really, really quick. Uh, the part that I remember was, yeah, they, when they were driving into town, Ned pulls out a bottle of whiskey or something or alcohol and tells him like, Hey, we're going to need it. And, and it was just, again, that whole theme of like, <laughs> this is what we need in order to be able to kill a man. And then when he was sober and he couldn't pull the trigger, he, he couldn't do it because he wasn't drunk. And then what does he get paid? You know, it's kind of like it is kind of unfortunate because he realized that and he didn't do it. And even though he didn't pull the trigger, he ends up paying the price in the long run anyway. But, yeah, yeah so uh, it, that, that whole alcohol theme was just an interesting theme for me this time around. 
And it probably makes sense. Like, I think you have to be a certain point dead or a certain point. They say, like, they do in the military. I think statistically, I remember it being back with, you know, the old muskets and, 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 Revolutionary War and Civil War, and all, uh, back in the day, at the battles, they, they you 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 they couldn't pull the trigger a lot. That's why they that's why boot camp is what it is, is to kind of, in in, or, in other words, do what kind of the alcohol did, which was kind of deaden feelings and deaden things, so that you can pull the trigger. Because to look in another person's face and do that was something that was very difficult for people to do. Yeah. And um, you know, and the theme is clearly here that it's just not a simple, glamorous. You just shoot people. Yeah. All right. Do we have anything else we want to say about Unforgiven before we hop into three questions? Just, I just think Clint, cool period of his life right here. Right. It's a good time. Like, I mean, I'm looking, when I looked at it now, because now you've seen all the older Clint Eastwood movies where he's much older, obviously, and he's like 80, 90, and you mm-hmm. think, well, yeah. if anybody could pull it off when they're 90, it's, it's Clint Eastwood still. We could still kick my ass. But at that point, he's not like the young kind of pretty boy, and he's not quite the old. He's right in that. I think he was the sixties here, but he's a, he's like a he's like so, a fifty yeah. year old sixties who just has enough experience and can sell that role, but also has enough youth to make him scary. You know, like tough and cool. I mean, it's perfect, cool Clint Eastwood. Like I think this is almost prime. I mean, there's obviously Dirty Harry and all that stuff, but like. The blend between the Clint Eastwood now and the young Clint Eastwood back then, I mean, that, that was a good prime. I, w- I might describe that as his prime kind of years in some ways. And, I mean, all of his years are probably prime. But And, and I just always said, I, when people have asked me the question, like, what director would you want to be on set? He, he always is one of the top three. I would like to see him direct. So just yeah, that'd be cool. Idea. Yeah, yeah, and not my and not my place to tell you what your favorite Clint Eastwood period is by any means. But yeah, you look through his life, and my gosh, it's 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 incredible when you go through all that stuff. It's it's like because you know you think back. Okay, so he did all the spaghetti western stuff, and then if you're looking, what was it? The Outlaw Josie Wales, and then he then in the seventies he had like Dirty Escape Harry. from Alca Dirty Harry, Escape from Escape Alcatraz. From Alcatraz. Um, even had some lighter ones in there. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was the one where he was the sergeant in the army. Heartbreak Ridge. Heartbreak Ridge. Ridge. Yeah. He was, he was a sergeant, right? I believe so. I mean, and, but like you said, it's like you, you kind of are, and again, not my place to say, no, Dennis, I'm sorry. You're incorrect. This is not your favorite. I mean, you could, everyone can determine their own thing, but I mean, it's just like every aspect of his career. You've been Pat (laughs) Splain. Yeah. I mean, again, like you're saying, there's no weak part of his career. I'm just saying, for some reason, when I saw him in here, he still looked young. He was still kind of young. But in like, remember, I think we said in the trivia, he like waited so he was older. It's kind of like, yeah, if he was a little bit younger, it didn't work. Yes. Maybe. And if he was too old, it doesn't work. And it's like perfect age almost. That was like the perfect age. He's he's sufficiently wise and and lived a rough, rough life, but. At the same time, there's a certain still plausible that this guy can still kick some ass. Yeah. He's he's sufficiently grizzled. Yes. Yeah. And when did In the Line of Fire come out? Well, that's probably 90s too, isn't it? 
Yeah. It was right around this time. And it wasn't the whole thing. Yeah. He's too old to be a secret service agent and all this kind of thing. Yeah. But I mean, but that was part of the story anyway. It was his that age. was part of the story. Right. right. It came out uh, in the line of fire was his next movie after unforgiven. Okay. Yeah. Because then, and, and then I mean, they're not wrong. He was up. old. I mean, right. <laughs> but Bill Ryder was, when was that? that was... But he's still here. He still found ways to have compelling characters, you know, eight. Yeah. that were still effective. And then the movies, then the movies that he started making just, just as a director, because didn't he, well, Dennis, it's a boxing thing. So million million dollar baby. baby. Yeah. Yeah. With Morgan Freeman again. Yeah. And he did flags of our fathers and American sniper. And I mean, Firefox was a little, but it was, it was all right. Oh, Firefox was fun, man. That's going back. Yeah. And didn't he do bridges of Madison County? Mm -hmm. Didn't he direct it? Yeah, you did, and, you did Space Cowboys. Space Cowboys I mean, yeah. like Space Cowboys. Yeah, yes, I love that movie. Oh, it's so cheesy, but I love it. it. Is. But it was I'll fun. Have, classic have, popcorn movie. Yeah, I'll have. I have three degrees from MIT. Maybe you should get your money back. I'm just. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's he is he's so good. Well, here this this brings us into one of our three questions. So I'm actually going to change it. I'm going to jump us into oh, three questions. Oh, here we go. And I'm going to change the order and I'm going to ask that question first instead of asking it last. So, three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. What was formerly question number three is now question number one. What is your favorite Clint Eastwood role that's not a Western? All right, I'm going to go one that we didn't mention. That I'm going to go Philo Beto. <laughs> Every which way, Every which way loose. Yeah, yeah, that one that just brings back memory. It was my, some of my dad's favorites. Was that whole kind of was it a trilogy? Was there three of them? Every which way, but loose. Any which way we can. And was there three? Remember, I think there was only two. I think it was Every Which Way But Loose. Any which way you can. Yeah, those are the two. I think I don't think there was a third one after that. But yeah, that that character, we, that movie was on replay a lot at the house, and just a cool character and a guy who just wanted some. Just it's just a good. Yeah, I love that character. Oh yeah, there's any which way you can. Yeah, and they is the orangutan in all of them. Yes, have you seen both of those or no? I, I vaguely remember a little bit of Orville. Every oh, which way yeah, but loose. Watch those. Rewatch those. Those were good. Yeah. I remember a little bit of Every Which Way But Loose. I don't think I've seen Any Which Way You Can. Okay. That one ends with a, with a very classic fight scene. There's a bet and there's Vegas and it's, uh, you know, it turns into a big thing and it's, yeah, it's a good one. Is this, so knowing that he's a trucker that becomes a, a prize fighter, is this kind of like a, spiritual prequel to uh, over the top yeah I don't know. except sylvester sloan instead of having an orangutan he's got a son with him could be okay <laughs> an orangutan is great though but yeah so that's how i'm gonna go I, I mean i was i wanted to say harry callahan obviously 
but yeah. like that was a but I feel so still a little close to the kind of the sort of the western but you know just the badass so I'm, I went one with one different yeah so I'm going with that okay and I'm waiting until you guys give yours because there's a couple other movies we forgot Pat that I just got to throw out there I think mine's going to be in the line of fire coming up here mm-hmm. real soon always love that movie Mine's easy. If westerns are taken, it's Dirty Harry Callahan. Callahan. Yeah, that was I. I was kind of hovering back and forth between that. I think I'm gonna go with. I. You know what? And maybe that's not a fair. Maybe that's not a fair one because I'm. I'm basing it off of who he's in the movie with. I almost wanted to go Absolute Power. Mm-hmm. Just because that is that's that one with Clint Eastwood, Gene Hackman again. Ed Harris is in that. It's like that's one of those movies that just has so many awesome people in it. Yeah. I, you know, no, I want to go Dirty Harry, so I think I'm going to go Dirty Harry. Yeah, we got a daily double. Yeah, yeah, we'll double. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, was, we'll double down yeah. on that one. I mean, although if I if I go back and well if I go back and rewatch the the rest of any which way but loose or every which way but loose, then that might be that one. Yeah, Mm -hmm. good call on Kelly's heroes. I love that movie. More of a different thing than kind of the violent hardcore sort of. It's a softer side to him in this. You know, so when you say non-Western, I feel like the Dirty Harry character, which again, believe me, it's like right up there was kind of the first thing I thought of, but then I was going. Is he really different in there? I mean, he is. He's a cop. But at the same time, there's a certain coldness to it, and there's a certain where I think you get. Although some of them played around with that when he was with what's her name, and one of the, was some impact. I forget which one. The love interest, or no, that was in Line of the Fire. In Line of, in line of, in line of Fire, yeah. What's her, what's her name? The Renee Russo. Yeah, Renee Russo. Mm-hmm. Seeing the love scene there where they start <laughs> all the guns and all the weapons coming off. Yeah, in yeah. almost an almost a spoof of Naked Gun, which yeah. is spoofing something else. Which yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys seen a perfect world too? No. If not, check that one out. He plays a sheriff. Okay. And he is chasing down Kevin Costner. That is a excellent, excellent film. Oh yes. He's got Laura yes. Dern in it. They're trying to go in this trailer and they're going cross country trying to get this kid who this guy who apparently has held this held this little kid hostage. So that's a yes. Clint Eastwood if you haven't seen him. And there's just going I through Pat. About you know, that you go movie. through the honking talk, man. You go through. God, does anybody have? A, I don't know if anybody has a more impressive 67. I mean, really started in the 50s, but that was more TV, I think, episodes. Raw mm-hmm. and all that. And then when you get to the 60s, it just is like, where Eagles Dare? I mean. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> That's Kelly the correct Jones. answer. I'm sorry. You're exactly right. We left out where. Yeah. Yeah. We left out. We left out where Eagles there. Yeah. I still love Dirty Harry Callahan though. I know. Where Eagles there? How did we forget that one? Okay, I'm going on IMDb because <laughs> I, I forgot I, a whole bunch now. I gotta, I gotta throw in one of my favorite lines from the movie Amadeus when they keep trying on all the different wigs, and his response mm-hmm. is, "Why don't I just have three heads?" <laughs> I like them all. Well, yeah. Yeah, like. 
just just the catalog. I mean, from 60, 70, 80, 90, oh, yeah. like a lot of actors have, they disappear for 20 years. Mm-hmm. They maybe come back or they have a peak and they do 20 years straight. I mean, it's just consistently, yeah. whether it's in front of the yeah. camera or behind the camera. That That's um, the kicker right there, whether it's in it front or non-stop. behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the incredible thing is whether it's in front of or behind. You just look and there's no gap. Yeah. Oh, how did I forget where Eagles dare? I know what I'm watching tonight. (laughs) And even in the 2000, it's like every three, four years or Mm -hmm. something. Yeah. You go from 2002 to 2004 to $90 baby, 2004 to 2008 Grand Torino, 2008, 2012, Trouble with the Curve, Gus, which is actually a pretty good movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. Baseball yeah. movie. Trouble with the Curve, I don't know if you've seen that one, yeah, too. Yeah, seen that one. Okay. And then you got 2018. Wait, what about, what? Mule. where is, wait a minute, hang on, where's where's uh, Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima? Because those are, in- I don't, did he, I don't think he acted in those, though. I think he no, just directed think- those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was, was a director, not actor, though, yeah. yeah he didn't start in the playing those but yeah now if you go to just director yeah then you just add that on too and it's, yeah i mean yeah add that whole dimension because when you think about four years between being in a movie and in between that he's making movies and directing them it's like i'm not sure. I mean, sniper if, if you American go look sniper. at if you look at his imdb as a director i'm not sure like there's a couple times where he maybe has a year off in between richard jewel that was a good one, too. Yeah. I think he did pretty good there. The one that I didn't like, the only one that I can say that I did not like from him, and it had nothing to do with the story, it had to do with his choice of actors, and I think it was a bad decision, was the 1517 of Paris. Have you guys ever seen that one about the train? No. Mm. And the explosion and the, I think it's like a terrorist thing. He used either the real guys or it was real, yeah, it was. I think it was the real guys, and the acting's just really bad. The line. It's either written poorly or something, but 1517 is the only Clint Eastwood movie that I think I've ever seen that I've kind of been like, that's ah, a little bit embarrassing. That was not that good. And again, it wasn't necessarily the story. It was, I think he chose to use the real act, the real guys who were in it, and they just couldn't act. It just wasn't good. But Sully? Yeah. I mean, J. Edgar, Jersey Boys... Wait a minute. He did Sully. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> He's so good. Well, we're not going to see Pat for the rest of the week. Here after yeah. was with yeah, what's good. his name, which I actually like that it was good too. Yeah, letters from Iwo Jima, flags of her fathers. Yep. What the heck, Mystic River? You forgot about Mystic River. Mystic River. Can we just say that he's like the best? Actor, Hollywood, director, slash everything. <laughs> I'm okay with that. We just say that? Yeah. Yeah. Bird. Yeah. Bird, Pat. Yeah, right. I remember when he did, yeah. That's with, uh, what's his name? Forrest Ford, Whitaker. Whitaker. Yep. Wow. Okay, so here it is. Before we go on to our next of the three questions, who is the best, greatest actor, slash director, slash producer, slash whatever in all of Hollywood? Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. There we go. Mm-hmm. Got the drop in there. All right. Next of the three questions in a fight, who do you want by your side? Ned, William, or Little Bill? Notice that the Schofield kid and English Bob are noticeably absent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I, well, I might I, want the author guy. He seems to be able to talk people into being stupid. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. In a fight, I I almost want to say Little Bill. I know, because yeah. everything Dennis said about the other guys just being kind of inept right now. And they have to be drunk in order to do anything. And like right. said, they left, and they couldn't pull the trigger. It's just like... Hmm. And if little, you like, knew you were going little into little a, did all his ass kicking when he was sober. Well, if right. you knew you were going, if you knew you were going into a fight, like the only reason I think he got the drop on him there was because he was in a bar full of other people, and he wasn't yeah. expecting him to just walk in and start blowing people yeah. away. I kind of feel like there are very few other times where you'd get the drop on Little Bill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And he's Lex Luthor. I mean, come on. I'm going with Little Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm still on question one. What about okay. Kelly's heroes? How did we not talk I told about you Kelly's heroes? Did you, did you say okay. Kelly's heroes? I'm sorry. Okay, I just didn't hear it because I was yeah. distracted because you said where eagles dare, and yeah, I Pat, felt embarrassed. Pat got lost Kelly's for a minute. And I do Kelly Kelly's heroes is amazing. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh my god, okay. that's insane. <clears throat> Pat Pat heard where eagles dare, and it turned into. Admittedly, I'm due for a rewatch of Kelly's Heroes. The last yeah. time I watched it was when we watched it for the podcast. Oh, I love that song. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling you, man. For everything people get mad at me about on this podcast for saying, I can't believe like the letters we're going to get that I didn't say were Eagles there. That's okay. We're going to get more letters for declaring Clint Eastwood the best. Whatever we just did. <laughs> We had, we had bur- I had burning Brit- an old an old cassette I remember having it on I know the color of the cassette it was like an orange and kind of whitish cassette and we had our own little tape work tape recorders and we put that in and we had the uh, burning bridges song we play that sucker nonstop love that song that song is good John's got to pull that sucker up that's a good song I'll get you the link John there you go Ooh. all right did we did we all answer who you wanted by your side. I mean, I know Pat's lost. Yeah, I, little think, bill. I went with little yeah. bill sober, okay. sober where the other guys, you need alcohol in them. Otherwise okay. they're not worth much. I mean, yeah. <laughs> All right. And then last of the three questions in your mind, what is the most unforgivable thing a movie slash show slash story has ever done? Put a duck in a bathtub. With... <laughs> you know what, Dennis, when I, when I wrote this question, I had you in mind and I knew exactly what you were going to say. And you and did not disappoint. Right it, man. You did not disappoint. Back. I knew you did. You put John, it on Come up with a third, come up with a second sequel, a third movie with, that kills off the main characters in the credits and gives the audiences no hope. Hey, you know what? I'm just kidding, man. You set it up. You set it up. Sometimes, you set hey. It you know put it what? on the T and swing. <laughs> Sometimes when you win, you lose, Pat. Sometimes when you win, you lose. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. What life was the question is, again? Life is nasty, brutish, and short, Pat. You just, you just need to <laughs> embrace the nihilism. We are nihilists, Lubowski. We believe in nothing. Yeah, man. Nice marmic. <laughs> Okay, so what was the question again? The question is, in your mind, what is the most unforgivable thing a movie slash show slash story has ever done? The oh, entire, this is the entirety of Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Can that can that be a thing? 
if you want it to be, sure. Gosh, that is such an open-ended question. It's hard. I okay. So here's the thing that that I for me it's easy. It's a blanket thing, and some of it's just me being a, a nincompoop. But the like historically inaccurate kind of stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that always drives me nuts. Like, why'd you have to do it that? Well, like, couldn't you? See you Pat's, know, see Pat's earlier comments throughout the years on Pearl Harbor. Yeah. See, and that's that's the unforgivable one. That one. Yeah. That one. But in the flip side, I feel like I. I know that about myself that it's just like, Pat, you got to walk it back. It's a movie kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Cause there isn't too much that I'm trying to think what movie really hacked me off. I, I don't know. I always come back to like really bad plot twists that make no sense or like really bad remakes that maybe should never have happened. I yeah, I'm still sticking with. I'll I'll say unforgivable. I hate the the voice of, of the duck. <laughs> well, yeah, we know you're you're not a fan. Are you? Do you just not like ducks? No, it's just the voice they chose for that character. It was just horrible. It's just okay. bad. It's bad. Right. Even out the bathtub scene, it's bad. Mm-hmm. It's like. Right. Comes out of TV show, I'll say the ending of Lost. <laughs> mm. You know what? I, I still don't know what the ending is. I've never seen Lost. I feel like I've got to watch it just because everyone's all upset about it. A lot of people were pissed at the ending of The Sopranos. It's, it, and I'm mm-hmm. okay with that compared to Lost. It, it, the thing with the Lost one was it was, it was so designed to create water cooler next day discussions with people at work and, and it did such a good job of what's good, what's really happened what all these things that made you think in it and then in the end it was just such a big massive letdown that it was like an insult to the time that you put into it i felt betrayed i'm gonna say my my two thoughts on this one are either movies that Movies that set up something, so and I'm kind of talking like sequels. Movies that set up something where I, I left the first movie and I was like, okay, I can see where they're going with this. I'm I'm interested. I can't wait to see the next movie. Can't wait to see what they're going to do with this character. All right, let's let's go. I'm I'm excited for this. I, the possibilities are are just exciting. Mm-hmm. And then the next movie is Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice. <laughs> And, and, and don't get me wrong, like you I, know what, right there, unforgivable. I, I, there you go. So, and and I still, I will watch that movie. I I can be entertained by. I can just switch my brain off and be entertained by Vivis Dodge. Um, mm-hmm. But when I when I left the theater, the three or four times that I saw Man of Steel, when I left the theater, I was thinking, ooh, oh, there's there's several different ways we can go with this, and all of them that the future's looking bright for Superman movies. I'm excited mm-hmm. for this. Can't wait for Man of Steel 2. And then they announced the Batman versus Superman, and I was like, oh. Okay. That's not the... Of all the different possibilities, that's not the route I saw them going. I mean, they didn't call me to write the screenplay for him, but all right. And as much as I still can enjoy Batman versus Superman, the biggest sin there, the biggest unforgivable part is... There are so many better routes you could have taken it rather than what I think they might have been doing was feeling the pressure of 
well, we've got to we've got to cram a cinematic universe into this fast because Marvel's already beat us to it. Mm-hmm. So let's start introducing characters as fast as we can so we can compete with the Avengers. There's that, yeah. and then there's and and I know some of our some of our other friends are are not a fan of the middle movie of the Star Wars sequel trilogy, um, mm-hmm. but there were things in that movie that were being kind of set up, and I was like, ooh, okay. All right, we're we're putting a little bit of a twist on things. We're we're introducing some ways to move forward, and then pretty much all of that was undone by the next dumpster fire of a film mm-hmm. that that I will not name, and it, it still to this day makes me angry. I don't even know that I've rewatched it. Like it may be the only uh-huh. Star Wars movie that I've only ever seen once. Mm. And I, there are things that I enjoy about that movie. Like there are there are scenes that I could go back to and rewatch of that movie and be like, okay, all right, that's kind of fun. And there's lightsabers. I'm 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 always up for a good lightsaber. But the movie as a whole, yeah, no. The only other last thing I will say is when I when I wrote this question down, I didn't have anything in mind for myself as an answer. But then as I started to think about it a little bit, I was like, well, what movie do I feel like? committed the the different sins of like what Bo mentioned of it just some stuff doesn't it doesn't even make sense like it's so downright stupid that it just doesn't make sense and immediately something clicked in my brain and I was like ah cool world okay there you go I hate cool world yeah when you first when you first sent that question I read the text that was in mind and I couldn't think of it because it left quickly but was i don't know i was I, like unforgivable the fact that they remade willy wonka and it was the the, the tim burton version so that one just ugh. i kind of what kind of made me think tim of this burton question tim remakes. burton that was just bad number tim one burton bad choice you, you don't take a classic like that you don't take a so that's to me is the unforgivable part as yeah. i was thinking like why would you take a classic number one classic actor in it and and then gene and it was it was just how do you, what were you thinking? Like, what were right. you thinking? Were you really arrogant enough to think that you could have made that better? Like, just leave that alone. How about the 2001? It, it was weird and it was creepy and it was almost like pedophile. It was just like, it was just weird. And it just didn't like the vibe of that movie. So, I, yeah, that, I, that was my first initial reaction, I think, was that one. You mentioned Tim Burton. And then you brought up, then you, because yeah, at the time I wasn't thinking about Howard the Duck because it was purged from my memory. And it <laughs> it's all my fault. At the beginning, so it was in there and it overtook Willy Wonka. And Charlie you and mentioned Tim Burton, though. His 2001 Planet of the Apes is a crime against a lot of things, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was- for some reason, I didn't hate that movie. I, I, I don't know like that it, I think of. I didn't hate it. I don't know that it I wasn't. think of. I don't think of as much as I watched the Planet of the Apes as a kid and loved those movies and watched them with my dad. I remember all that. I don't know that I think of the Planet of the Apes movies as being quite as. I'm using my quote fingers here. Sacred as the '70s Willy Wonka. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think the problem I had with it was where they tried to do homages to the original. Yeah, they failed miserably instead of just remaking the premise go for it do your thing but some of where they tried to do it it just didn't work i guess i guess the one thing that i'm i may be more forgiving of it is i feel like it revived that genre 
enough that it I'll give you that interest in it where it was kind of a, a a weak bridge but a bridge to the newer ones the all the other ones more for the mm-hmm. which i think are excellent yeah those were much oh, better it's just that first one i had so yeah. much trouble with and i think it's because they might have been trying to call back to the original maybe too hard too hard yeah yeah, yeah. Now, i think that's what rubs me the wrong way in a few places bo are you saying the original one of that new trilogy no, was it, no, isn't John this one kind of like a standalone all by itself? Wahlberg. Okay, uh, okay, yeah, that's Wahlberg. the Mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg's in it, and it's very much Mark like Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg, other the Mark Wahlberg, yeah. Mark Wahlberg's in it. It's pretty much the same storyline, sort of as the original Charlton Heston one. Yeah, yeah right. and Charlton Heston, uh, Charlton Heston, Charlton Heston has a cameo where he says, "You darn dirty yes. humans!" Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. He okay, plays, no, I'm yeah, with you. He plays one of the aging apes, and I think is it Helena Bonham Carter is in there too. Yeah, she's the, she has yeah. like the love interest or them sort of, and it's like oh, just there's like a lot of weird. Yeah, there's some uncomfortable moments in that one that are kind of creepy and weird. And when I, we we literally just watched that, I would say within the last oddly enough, Hunter was watching it probably within the last two months. And yeah, it's oh, wow. it's definitely even back then. I think I remember it being a little bit better than it was when I just saw it. Now I'm like, Ugh, there's a lot of cringy moments in it. Yeah. But uh, but like I said, did it revive a new generation of kids and people to maybe say, hey, it did well at the box office. So maybe we can try to look and do kind of kind of like, you know, some of the Batmans that still kind of and all of a sudden you get the Dark Knight. And I feel like those kind of were there maybe that caused what have happened without it. Maybe I don't know, but it, it, it maybe sold the idea to a studio to redo the kind of do those the planet of the ape ones the the newer ones that are classic with caesar and yeah andy circus is caesar and 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 those are just i think phenomenal now that like, you guys the, the third one with woody harrelson oh, yeah. in it oh I, like hunter was devastated for weeks mm-hmm. i i was sad i felt like yeah it was that was powerful i thought like they're just like no oh that one have you seen all have you guys seen all of those mm-hmm the third one with the with the with the blunt with the girl, the the mm-hmm. mutant girl, and the whole you know, yeah. Even, yeah. even despite despite what they're yeah, Hunter just said. Hunter just said, "You talking about Planet of the Apes?" Yeah. <laughs> he just popped his head and he goes, "Yeah, I was depressed." Despite, <laughs> despite what the the later ones are rated, because are they rated? Is later one rated R? I don't think so. I think they're PG. Are they all PG thirteen? Okay, well, either way. Several years ago, I mean, the kids were quite a bit younger than they are now. We ended up watching the first one with the kids. I think I was watching it with John and like Sharon and Nora happened to be like passing through the living room too. And they're like, Oh, this is kind of cool. So we all sat down, we watched it together. This is the only time I think this ever happened. We watched the first of the newer planet of the apes all together. And then we kind of like looked at each other as soon as the movie was over. And we're like, do you want to put the second movie in? Yeah. Like, okay. And we put the second movie in and I don't think we watched the third one the same day. Like we didn't do it like one right. I want to say it was the next day. We're like, okay, well, we got to go to bed. We got church in the morning, and then when we get back from church, do you want to start the third one? Yeah, let's start the third. Is the only time I think that's ever happened with a set of movies is everyone in the family was like, these are really good. Can we just mm-hmm. keep watching? Like, yeah, we can keep watching. We have to sleep at some point, but we can keep watching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sleep's overrated. Yeah. Before I close this out, I do want to say I'm really surprised nobody said anything about bat nipples. Yeah. About what? Bat nipples. Bat nipples. George Clooney, bat nipples. Yeah. You are right. That was unforgivable. I, well, the most unforgivable part of those movies is Bane. 
whatever do you mean? No, 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 not that Bane. Oh, the, the <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, the, yeah. Bane is a, it's like the uh, thing from another world. Bane is a living vegetable or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that was... whole movie was really, you want to stick with the nipples in Bane, you could expand. That whole movie was kind of a waste of space. Yeah, the bat nipples, you had the terrible. A waste of celluloid, if you will. Terrible Bane, you had the bat credit card, you had the. Oh, God. I, I forgot Man. about the credit card. Me too. Jeez. You're welcome. Yeah. That whole movie. Trash. <laughs> yep. Yep. And Cool World. Worst thing that's ever been made. There you go. If, if Clint Eastwood had made it, it would have been better. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Hopefully, you can forgive us for if we've trashed your favorite movie. Although, if of all the movies we've trashed in the last 10 minutes or so, I kind of feel like they all deserve it. So... Too bad. But yes, hopefully you forgive us if we if we did trash your favorite movie. Although, ironically... If not, send all emails to well, if, Pat at 30-something. Knowing, well, knowing our track record, if we trashed your favorite movie, head on over to 30podcast.com where you can find our Patreon page. And you can join us as a Patreon co-executive producer because that tends to be what happens. Is we trash your favorite movie and then you become a Patreon co-executive producer. But you can do that because there is a lot of bonus stuff over there. If you like yeah. what you if you like what you're hearing here, then head over there and there's even more. We're at 30podcast.com. That is our website if you want to get there. And then our next episode's coming up for the month of November, our Patreon episodes. If you do want to join us over there, our Patreon episodes are the full-length one is King of Comedy from 1982. Our Patreon shorts are Rocky 3 from 82 and Black Adam from this year. And then the regular episodes we've got left this month. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Chaplin. The week after that, a river runs through it. And then we are barreling right on into December and finishing out the year. Our Patreon in December is Eating Raul from 1982, Christmas Story Christmas from 2022, Conan the Barbarian from 1982. And then our regular episodes for the month of December are Santa Claus the Movie, The Babe, All I Want for Christmas, Home Alone 2, and the Muppet Christmas Carol. So we have got all kinds of good stuff coming up over the course of the next several weeks or so, and then leading on into 93, which we've got coming up in the beginning of January. So Awesome. Gentlemen, thank you so much, as always. Always have a good time with you. Yeah, what a great discussion about what a great movie. Yep, thanks, John. Thank you, John. All right, everybody. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. Go watch this one again. In fact, go watch... Most of the movies we talked about when we ran down Clint Eastwood's list of movies. Just go go watch them all. We'll see you back here next time. Y'all have a good one.